It's good to be here together today. It's good to worship with you this morning. And I'm happy to introduce to you our speaker for today, Pastor Joel Hassler. Joel has been a pastor in the Twin Cities for the past 25 years, serving in youth ministry and more recently in discipleship ministries. She's been married to her husband, Adam, for 19 years, and they have two kids who are in middle school. Joelle's passions are preaching and evangelism, and she is excited to be here with us today to share. And so would you welcome to the stage with me, Pastor Joelle Hassler. Thanks. Hey, guys. Happy to be with you. I was thinking about um, my eighth grade son, Ryan, um, while you were singing. And if you run into him around town, please don't tell him I, I said this to you. I actually live here in New Brighton, so we might run into each other at Target. Um, but he hasn't learned yet that um, you can't just sing out praise to God as loud as you want in large groups of people. There's just something inside of him that just wants to praise God at the top of his lungs. So every Sunday in church, um, he just sings louder than everybody else. And praise God, isn't that awesome? Um, and it was so fun to hear your voices as well, just singing out all of those truths, um, some of which I really needed to be reminded about today. If it's okay, I'd just like to whisper a prayer to God before I start. God, um, thank you for the opportunity to spend, you know, 26 minutes uh, digging into your word today. And um, we recognize this is holy ground and you might want to say something to us today. So um, we're opening up our hands, our hearts, our minds to hear what it is you might want to say to us. And help me to say whatever it is, Lord, that you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this series uh, this last month at the church that I work at called In But Not Of. This is the cool artwork our graphic designer Bryson created for it. And the series was based on a phrase, a longer phrase that you might have heard before, that as Christians we should be in the world, but not of the world. Have you heard that phrase before? Can you just give me a head nod if you have? Okay, everybody, I think, pretty much has heard that phrase before, and maybe you're very familiar with it, and you're like, I know exactly what that means. It's part of how I live my life. But others of you in the room might be saying, like, I, I kind of understand the concept, but I'm not really sure what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. And we have this weird thing in Christianity where we sometimes have these like phrases that we say, and for some people, they're really meaningful, and for other people, they're very cloudy, and when you're in the cloudy camp, you feel like you can't ask, what does that even mean? So for the cloudy people in the room, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of what this concept is, being in the world and not of it. The concept is really a strategy or a mindset or an approach for people who are followers of Jesus so that we could live in this world participating in the good of the world, participating in the mission of God in the world, while at the same time not participating in what isn't good and what isn't of God. So it is, it's a mindset that people have who are really serious about following Jesus. I can remember an in but not of moment I had about 10 years ago. So I have this husband, Adam. We've been married, it'll be 19 years this month. But 10 years ago, he wanted to run a half marathon, his first ever half marathon, I was very supportive because 
if you're a runner, you know this, when you come back from like long runs, you feel really good. And there was just a lot of joy um, in his life as he was training. So I was very supportive. This is so cool. I knew he was running the race with one of his coworkers. What I didn't know was that he was planning to run the race in Green Bay, Wisconsin. No, I see you. I see you, Packer fan. I didn't know that he was going to be running this race in enemy territory, okay? I have been, I have been, uh, uh, yeah. He actually, he actually had to finish the race running through Lambeau Field. And I have been uh, a Minnesota girl my whole life, uh, purple and gold, everything. It does not matter what our record is. I do not care. Um, Kirk Cousins, I'm for you, man. I'm for you. I'm in your corner. Okay, so I, um, I knew I had to go there and I had to cheer on my husband, but I was going to have to like stay strong. I was gonna have to maintain my identity. I was gonna have to avoid cheese. I was gonna have to resist the pressure to chant, go pack go. All the while being supportive and encouraging to my husband as he ran through the worst place on earth. I had to live in Green Bay but not be of Green Bay. Did I do it? I did it, right? You got it. You got it. And that's the concept that I want to talk about today, that we have, as Christians, the opportunity to live in this world, in this time period, in this culture, in this country, but ultimately, our identity is as citizens of heaven. We live to please God, not to please people. Yeah, we do. And if we're gonna do that successfully throughout our lifetime, we're gonna need a strategy. We're gonna need a plan in order to make that happen. Look what Jesus says in John 15. He says, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So, it hates you. I want to teach you that word world here. That word world is actually the word Greek. In the Greek, sorry, in the Greek is where the word cosmos. And the word cosmos, by the way, doesn't just refer to the whole world. It refers to the part of the world that has turned their back on God. The cosmos has a leader, and that leader is Satan. And what Jesus is saying is when you've decided that you're gonna follow me, when you've become one of my disciples, you have exited the cosmos and you have a new community and you have a new leader and these, this new community and this, this whole group of people, their, their idea is that they wanna live with their faces turned towards God instead of their backs turned towards God. They are, we are no longer a part of the cosmos. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to avoid Satan's ploys to get us more interested in things like money and power and control and lust and pleasure than the things of God, which are things like peace and freedom and community and joy and unconditional love and truth. Every day, we are like Vikings fans 
waking up in Lambeau Field. We are in enemy territory, and if we want to follow Jesus, we have to have a plan, a way to live, a way to thrive, a way to bring God's kingdom to earth while we're here on this earth. While everyone else's back might be turned towards God, we can and we will figure out a way to live with our faces turn towards him instead. And so I want to ask you the question, do you know how to do that? Are you sure of your plan, your strategy, your mindset to live in the world, but not be of it? Maybe you're not sure, because it is really tricky to live a life of faith in the midst of the world that we're living in right now. And if you're unsure, or maybe even if you think you're sure, maybe I could teach you something today. Because I want to show you, I want to reveal to you a strategy or a plan that I think will help you to live in the world, but not of it. And the strategy is not mine. I did not make it up. It is directly from Jesus. So we're going to study the Word of God together. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or your Bible app or however you read the Bible these days. Um, Matthew chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 13. Now, just look at me for a second. It's going to take me a minute to teach my way to the plan that I want to reveal to you, okay? So try to hang with me as I'm teaching um, as we get to the plan. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus' disciples are on a bit of a road trip with him here, and they've been his apprentices for about three years at this point in time, and his road trip is intentional. He has taken them to a very specific spot, to Caesarea Philippi. And at this time, Caesarea Philippi was like the strip in Las Vegas times 10, okay? It was a place that there was this phrase that said, no good Jew should ever go there. That was like what everybody knew about this place. It was a place known for having a thriving, idol-worshiping community. And it was in that cosmos that Jesus asked his disciples to identify him. Who do you say that I am in the midst of this place? And this is how they responded. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I love the disciples so much because they're very much like me and you, regular guys, right? And Jesus is asking them this very important question in this very sinful place. And they just like start shooting off answers. Who do you say I am? Well, I think maybe some people think you're John. Some people think you're Elijah. They're just, they're just throwing stuff out there. And instead of getting annoyed with them, he just presses them a little bit further. He asks like a, a, a closer to what he's trying to get at question, right? Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but... Who do you say that I am? I think it's noteworthy that the other disciples don't say anything here, but Peter just blurts out his answer. He's just bold with it. You're the Messiah. 
the son of the living God. Sometimes I wonder if he was surprised in that moment. Like, was he surprised that he got it and that he said that? And I wanna, I wanna talk more about what he says there about Jesus being the Messiah. But before I do, I just have to point out how important that question is that Jesus is asking them when he says, who do you say that I am? For some really strange reason, Jesus cares a great deal what we think about him, what we personally believe about him, like every person in this room. He cares very much what do you believe about him, and he doesn't want us to believe the wrong things about him. He doesn't want us to believe that he's just a prophet or just a great teacher or just a guy who modeled a great way of life. Not even just a guy who forgave sins. He wants us to see the whole picture of who he is and follow him and love him for all of who he is. When I was in seminary, um, graduate school for pastors, I, I got to spend one semester as the chaplain in a Presbyterian home, a nursing home, actually very close to here. And while I was there, I would go every week and I would visit and I would just go room to room to room talking to people. And sometimes I got to pray with people. And it was super fun. But one of my favorite parts about it was that in everybody's room, they had these framed pictures of themselves when they were younger. So something like these pictures that I brought to show you. Something like this. And I loved those pictures because they gave me just a glimpse into what these people were like before they were in this, you know, room, lying in a bed, um, usually older people in that nursing home. And so I would ask them questions. I would say, tell me about your life. Tell me about what your career was. Tell me about your family. And everybody had amazing stories. I met people who had served in our nation's military. I met people who had been at the very top of their careers. I met people whose children had become famous. And I loved hearing their stories and they loved telling them to me because they were treated and I think are often treated like just an old person who can't take care of themselves fully anymore, lying in a bed in a room. But there was so much more to them than that. So much more to their story and they deserve to have that story known and they deserve to be loved for the whole of who they were. And the same is true of Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't in a nursing home at this point in time, but while he was there in Caesarea Philippi, he knew he was approaching the end of his life. And so he needed to ask this really important question like, do you know who I am? Do you know the whole of who I am? Do you get my entire story? Very important to him that they knew the answer and Peter did. And he responded, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter is acknowledging two things here, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the savior. Yes, of course, that they'd been waiting for. But he also says, you're the son of the living God. This is just a nod to his divinity. He's saying, you're more than a prophet. You're more than a teacher. You are the son of God, one with him in every way. So he's saying, I'll just summarize it for you. He's saying, you are savior, God. And this is how Jesus 
feels about Peter's confession. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus' response to Peter is praise. He's like, you're getting it. The Father has revealed this to you. And then once, now that you've gotten it, I can build on that. That's true for us, by the way, too. Once we get who Jesus is, the whole of who he is, then he can build on that in our life. And the way he builds on it with Peter is he says, now I say to you that you're Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I'll build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. There's a lot of rock language here. And there's been a lot of interpretations of this rock language here, but I wanna break it down for you. As written in the Greek, Peter's name is Petros, which means rock or a stone. And then the word, the second word that Jesus uses here that's translated rock is for the foundation that he's gonna build the church on. But that Greek word is Petra, which means this rock in the sense of a substance or a material, okay? So I'm gonna reread it for you with the new Greek words in there. Now I say to you that you're Petros, and upon this Petra, I'm gonna build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And here's why I'm telling you this. Jesus is not saying, I'm gonna build my church on Peter the guy, okay? There's two different words he uses here. He's saying, I'm gonna build my church on the rock, the substance, what you just said, Peter. That confession of faith that you just made. You said I was the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's what I can work with. That's the substance, that's the material that I'm gonna build my ecclesia on. He uses the word ecclesia here, by the way. It's the first place he uses ecclesia in the New Testament. He says, I'm gonna build my church on that truth. And that's Jesus's plan. His plan was, hey, I know you're gonna go forward and I know you're gonna live in places like Caesarea Philippi and it's gonna be really hard. And so my plan for you is that in the midst of Caesarea Philippi, in the midst of the mess, I want you to build something new. I want you to build something better and I want you to build it on a rock, a substance, a foundation of that truth that you just confessed, that I'm the Messiah, the son of the living God. Actually, ask them to let me have a whiteboard so I could draw this for you because it's so darn important and if you have something to write on, draw this for yourself, okay? This is the cosmos that we're all living in, Okay? We are living in the midst of a world whose backs are turned towards God. And God has called us, Jesus has called us to build something new, to build an ecclesia on a foundation, and the foundation is these two truths, that Jesus is both Savior and God, okay? And then on that foundation, we get to be the church. I'm so bad at drawing these things. Please forgive me. The church is people, you know this. The ecclesia is built of a community of believers whose faces are turned towards God. And this, by the way, they're laughing at my drawing. It's okay. Listen, this group of people, this is how we're supposed to live in the world 
but not be of it. This is how we're supposed to live in a community of people who are together enjoying meaningful work, caring for each other, lifting each other up, bearing each other's burdens, celebrating with one another. And by the way, the doors of the ecclesia, I can't draw a door, but let's just say these are doors. The doors are always wide open to the church so that if anybody is curious, anybody has questions, they could come in and they could ask and they could find out who Jesus is and what he's done for them. This is the better way that Jesus was describing. Now, this might mean nothing to you, but let me try to bring it into a really practical place, okay? You know, sometimes I feel like we're trying to live in the world but not be of it, and we're just, we're like fighting, we're arguing, we have like anger rising up in us, we're debating. I don't really think that's what Jesus had in mind. He said, build a, build a church, build a group of people, a community of people based on this truth that I'm both savior and God, and then love each other really, really well. And that is how you're gonna live in this world, but not be of it. That is the way you are gonna bring light into the darkest places of the world by building this better thing, this ecclesia. And I have benefited so much from this ecclesia that Jesus designed. If you've been in the church for any part of your life, you've probably benefited from it as well. I know we get a lot of press in the evangelical Christian church that is really bad, but there's so much good stuff going on that ain't nobody reporting on. I'm just gonna show you a couple things, okay? The other day, uh, somebody in in our community in the Hastings, one of our church campuses is in Hastings, and he needed a new roof and he couldn't afford it. And somebody in our church sent a text to a group of guys, hey, do you guys know how to roof? Anybody got materials? And one of them brought a ladder and one of them brought the materials and they just put a new roof on his house. Three days after he said, hey, I need a new roof and I can't afford it. Our church has been welcoming Arrive Ministry families, refugee families, Um, who've come here, who've been in refugee camps for somewhere between 10 and 17 years of their lives. They arrive in Minnesota with absolutely nothing. And we've been taking care of them in every way possible. This is just a trip to the library that someone in our church took these kids so they could understand what a library is. That's the ecclesia being the ecclesia. On a personal note, I lost a family member in August, a 38-year-old cousin of mine, passed away and we like couldn't get up off the ground because it was a tragic death and our church hosted the funeral and I didn't do anything. I'm one of the pastors at our church. I didn't do a thing. I didn't preach the sermon. Somebody else led the worship. I don't know how the programs got printed. There was a funeral team. They served us all lunch and all I did was grieve alongside of my family. I'm just telling you this because the church That's how the church was designed to be, a community of believers, loving each other well, living in this world, but not being of it. Jesus knew we were gonna live in a messy world. He knew we were gonna experience both joy and sorrow. And he knew we were gonna be tempted to live selfishly 
and indulgently and shamefully. So he encouraged us to get into a group of people built on solid truth, rock solid truth, and then live out our faith with that community. That was his plan. Such a darn good plan. So with my few moments left, I just want to say to you guys, we really need you to participate in the ecclesia. I was thinking about you and I was thinking about how a lot of times we take a break in college from being a part of the church. I, don't, I didn't find that when I was reading the scriptures. I couldn't find 18 to 22 exempt. Just it wasn't in there. And the church isn't as great as it could be if you're not a part of it. When you sit on the sidelines, I'm just gonna jump to this slide. When you, it rhymes and it shouldn't, but when you participate, I want you to know you make the church great. And I have a vision for what would happen if everybody in this room dove into their local church community and loved people the way Jesus called us to love them and how that would help you live in the world but not be of it, but also how much greater the church would be and how people would sit up and pay attention. Have you seen the young people who are knocking down the doors of our church buildings? We can't even keep them out. When we want to open the cafes, they're there to make the coffee. When we have youth group, we've got so many youth group leaders, we don't know what to do with them because all the college students have shown up at the door of the church to participate in the ecclesia. And you know what people would do? When you do that, if you do that, they'd pay more attention to Jesus. They'd go, if, if these people are compelled to do this great work in the church, maybe this Jesus guy is legit. That's a lot of responsibility, I know. But I felt like I had to say it to you today that God made a plan for us to be in the world and not of it by building a better way. And that better way is the church. And we need you to get off the sidelines and be a part of it. I know so many of you are already participating in your churches, but if you're not, here's my challenge to you. Find one, anyone, church that loves Jesus, that preaches the Bible, that teaches the truth, and just get involved. By the way, it'll be messy. We're very imperfect people leading the church and a part of the church. Don't be turned off by the mess. Just get in the mess and love people really well. You can lead the way. And I believe that this, that this plan is going to live on because of your participation in it. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the opportunity to just share about your plan, your purposes for our lives, no matter what age we are no matter what stage of life that we're in. And I pray, God, that we would just get involved, that we would get busy living out this plan that you so clearly presented to Peter and the disciples. We hear you today, God, and, and we wanna respond. Pray that you'd give us courage to do it. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Bye, you guys. You guys are dismissed. <laughs>